You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah, a sermon from our series entitled House Rules, a study on the book of 1 Timothy. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Thank you guys can have a seat. All right. Um, it's good to be back with y'all. Got a, got a little Boston last week, last week, got a little tea party action up there, throwing some tea in the harbor just for good old times. I didn't because it was nor'easter up there, so we didn't really do much. But um, one of the things, so we went up there, had a great weekend, came back. I was at baseball practice for my son on Wednesday night, and it was kind of cold. And I was talking to the coach. It's like, man, it's cold out. And I had all my Eagles gear on because, you know, I just wear it, and I will for the next 51 weeks until the next Super Bowl or whatever, right? But so he's like, hey, I don't, we, somehow we got into discussion uh, that I had been in Boston that last week, and he said, I bet you didn't wear that stuff in Boston last week, did you? And I thought, you don't know me at all, do you? <laughs> and there's this, there's this old song from the 70s, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Some of you old folks, you remember that. If you don't know me by now, right? I was like, you don't know who I am, do you? Of course I wore it. Of course I wore it in the, and that's the one place I would wear it. If you know anything about me, I was like, just because I'm in Boston, that actually encourages me. I'm from Philly. If I'm in Boston, I am going to wear something that says Philadelphia Eagles beat you this year. That's what I am going to do. Why? Because that is my identity. That's who I am. And because that's who I am, I am going to wear the shirt. In fact, I got patted down in the airport on the way out because of that shirt. The guy's like, Eagles fan, come here. And he's like, he's kind of joking, but I was like, you're welcome. You have five rings. We have one. Hush. Give us our one ring, right? But that's who I am. My identity drives what shirt I wear, what I do. And that really is the text that we're looking at today. Uh, Paul is going to highlight who are we? And that who are we is going to drive the shirt that we wear, even in Boston. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're just going to look at three little verses, 14, 15, and 16. And some of you are like, yeah, we're going to get out early, right? If you don't know me by now. No, we, actually, we got first service, we did get out a little early. So um, you guys should get out a little bit. But this is a great text, y'all. It's super simple. It is just super, it's what the book is about. This is the key passage in the book. Right? This is what we've been talking about the entire time. So you can just boil it all down to this, this little passage. And, and as a church, we are in a season of kind of like evaluation and assessment. It's been a challenging last couple of months. At looking down the road, there's things that are changing. There's things that are going to stay very much the same. There's all sorts of stuff going on. But when you come to a passage like this, it just kind of washes everything away and just reminds us, what are we doing? What are we doing? Right? What, is, what does God want us to do? And when I, I'm so thankful for just little simplistic but powerful passages like this because as we look around and just the challenges ahead, but I see like a story of grace over here and, and a story of redemption over here and there's a story of mercy and we're going to celebrate Easter in a few weeks and then after that, baptism. And some of you already are going to share your stories with the church and, and share your faith by standing up here and, and, and getting baptized. Man, I'm reminded this is good. This is, this is who we are. So let's just jump in, talk about who we are and how it affects the shirt we wear, all right? And if you're new, if you're kind of visiting this, your first time here, here's what we do on every Sunday. 
We sing a couple songs. We open the scripture because we believe this is literally the word of God. It is the breath of God. He speaks to his church through it. And so we kind of study it together for a little bit. And then we respond with a couple more songs. Right? And then we go. And then we go and be the church because that's what we're about here. And we've been in a series on 1 Timothy. It's a little book that's written to a young dude named Timothy. Very creative title. Get it? Right? But Apostle Paul is kind of his protege. He has to leave the city of Ephesus where they are. Big church in Ephesus, kind of big city church, New York City-like city. He's got to leave for some reason, go up to Macedonia, and he leaves this young 30-year-old dude who's got a little stomach issues, we're going to find out. He's kind of like a timid guy. He's got some gifts, but he's real timid, and it's just chaos, and he's nervous, and he feels like he's in the deep end of the pool. And so Paul writes this letter to say, chill, just do these things. I'm going to put this out there, put this out there for the people. Right? This is the values of the church. This is the house rules. Just do this. It's okay. And so we've been looking. We saw, we saw truth that leads to love. And we saw prayer is important, obviously, because we have a living God. And we saw mercy is a motivator to show mercy and to be merciful. And we, we saw that there's shepherds because Jesus is a shepherd. We shepherd and because there, Jesus was a servant. There's deacons and, and there's order in the, in the church. And so all these things. And then we jump in today, kind of this heart, the passage that's the heart of the letter. So let me read first two verses. I hope to come to you soon. Timothy's like, yes. But, oh no, right? But I'm not coming to you soon. So I'm going to write a letter. He uses the technology of its day. The Romans had built roads and so he's access to almost everything. So he writes him a letter. He says, I am writing these things. And these things is everything he's written so far and what he's going to write. I'm writing all this stuff to you for what? For what reason? So that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Here's the house rules. Here's how it works. Just put this stuff out there. And when I get there, I'll take care of it. But here's, here's let me just give you two observations just on this. This is not the main point of the, of the deal. But let me just highlight two things that kind of stood out to me just from, from that. Number one is this. Paul knows, he recognizes the huge truth that everybody at some point needs a buddy. Everyone needs a friend, right? Sometimes you got to go where everybody knows your name. Dum, dum. Some of you picked that up. Some of you are like, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. You want me to sing it? Where everybody knows your name, right? He knows that. He is now shepherding the shepherd, right? You know, this pastor, he's the pastor in this little city. He's caring for, why? Because he, he's down. He shows up and he feels he, like, I can't do this. I, this is over my head. I got some crazy people over here and some crazy, I don't know what I'm doing. And he needs a friend to, he, to, to hear, to, to, to speak truth, to refresh. You know who else needs a friend? Paul needs a friend. A little bit later, just a few years later, when he writes this second letter to Timothy, he talks about he's in jail. He's about to die. Everyone knows. He knows he's going to die. Everyone knows he's going to die. And he says, man, my buddy, Onesiphorus, he's refreshed my soul often. He wasn't afraid of my chains. Even Paul needs a buddy. Right? And so kind of first observation, really question to think about is, do you have that person and are you that person at some point, right? If you're, if you're that, you know, you're th- you have a three-year-old and you got a, you're eight months pregnant, you need a buddy. I'm glad it's you and not me and you need a buddy because there's people that have gone through that. 
And, so, and you, you're crying and you're, you're sad, you're tired, and how am I going to handle two? And I don't know how to do car. You need a friend to say it's going to be okay. If you're that empty nester and the last kid just went off and you're like, what do we do now? You need a buddy. If you're a high schooler and, you, and you're struggling and you're lonely and you got all, you know, you're, you're believing some of this and this and you just, you just need, you need somebody. We all, that's how we were created and Paul is that buddy and you need that person and you need to be that person. Right? For one person. You know, you don't for the whole world. But do you have that person? That's just, a, just an observation. Here's the second observation. This is what I love. And I, and I try. This, this is why I love Paul. He's not a spaz. Right? Paul is not like, man, sounds pretty bad there in Ephesus. Time to go. Why don't you come up to Macedonia? Just bolt. Right? Paul is not like, oh my goodness, it's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. Do you realize that every letter that Paul writes, almost, except for maybe one or two, he's writing to a train wreck on the other side. You realize that? So when he writes to Corinth twice, it's like train wreck. When he's writing to the Galatians, it's train wreck. He's writing to the Ephesians and their letter to have this heresy, he's train, it's train wrecking. When he's writing to, to Titus, the church in, in Crete is in disarray. And, and Thessalonians, you got people that are lazy and, and just slap. He's got train wrecks and he's never like, man, it's pretty bad down there. He's always like, it's okay. All right? And what he does almost every time is he points to who they are in Christ and then why that matters. And he just kind of gives them practical stuff every time. So what he's doing here, he's pointing to hope. He's super practical. It's okay. Don't spaz. He points them to hope. Y'all, hope is huge, isn't it? Faith, hope, and love, those are the kind of the trifecta, right? But isn't hope so significant for Christians? I mean, it, just a little bit of hope goes so far. Just a little, just a smidge. There's this great scene at the end of the latest Star Wars film. And if you haven't seen it, then number one, you're not a Christian. Number two, I'm going to spoil it for you because I don't care because you had like four months. All right, so, but it's Luke Skywalker in one of his better moments because I've always thought Luke Skywalker was kind of a wuss. I'm a Han guy, sorry. But in his better moment, he has just fought, he's fighting Kylo Ren kind of because he's a hologram, but whatever. And, and Kylo's like, the rebellion is over. You're, I'm going to kill you and you're the last Jedi. How you like them apples? Kind of like that. And Luke Skywalker looks at him and he says, the rebellion is reborn today. The war is just beginning and I will not be the last Jedi. Right? And we're all like, all the nerds are like, yes, another film, 18 months, bring it on, right? There's another movie. And the thing is, at the end of this movie, there's only like eight rebellion people left. And there's like three robots. So you got like eight people and three robots. And that's the whole rebellion. But we nerds don't care. Because we have this little scene at the end of the movie where the kid like brings the broom to him. And we're like, there it goes right there. I, that was all, that was worth my $30 just to see that scene. We're all like, we have to bring on December of 2020. There's hope. With just eight people and three robots, right? There's going to be another Death Star, I'm sure. It'll get blown up, I'm sure. There's hope. But what Paul is always doing is he's pointing back to hope. Timothy, it's going to be okay. Take a breath. Drink a glass of wine. He actually does tell him that in chapter 5, believe it or not. Not for the same reason, but still. It's okay. And he points them to hope every time. And y'all, as Christians, shouldn't we of all people be the people of hope? 
I mean, oh, I can't believe the news is so bad. And what's Trump doing now? And oh my goodness. And uh, Shouldn't Christians be the kings of hope? Because the tomb is empty. Isn't that what we celebrate in like three weeks? So this is where it starts, y'all. It's just a, it's a huge reminder to me that Paul is always like, he's a buddy and he points to hope. That was extra. Let's get back into what he says. Now he's going to point him to who we are as a church. He's been saying, I've written these things. This is what I want you to do. But he reminds him why. Who are we? He says three things. What's the first thing? He says, I want to write you so you know how you're to behave in the household of God. Right? Literally, God's house. And so what we learn about ourselves right off the bat is that the church, and I'm not talking about this building, I'm not talking about this facility, that the people inside, you right now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the household of God, which means you are the family of God. You are God's family. That's your identity. So the church is not a place you come to sing or hear teaching or be entertained or eat a little cracker and a little juice and sing some song, whatever. The church is you, the family of God. And we're not, we're not talking universal church, yes, but we're talking local church. This group over here, you are family with this group over here. You are God's children, which means you are royalty. You're highnesses, right? Your honors. You can call me your honor, whatever. We are princes and princesses. You know, you got this in, in Chronicles of Narnia with C.S. Lewis. He says, once a king and queen in Narnia, always a king and queen, right? So you got all those four. Every time they show back up, they're kings. That's y'all, and God is our, all of our Father. We are the family of God. Pretty cool, right? You belong to royalty. You should have your own BBC show, right? But here's what's hard about that. Here's the challenge of that concept. Number one, families are messy, right? You got different people with different preferences, different personalities, different struggles, all that going on, right? Different gifts, different weaknesses. You got, you got one that's like, I want the bed made every morning because I like to get into a freshly made bed every night. And it's like, yes. And you got one that's like, why should we make the bed? We're just going to sleep in it again, right? And you got this, you know, you got one that's like uh, at 10 o'clock at night, it's like, I'm out, I'm done. And the other one's like, are you kidding me? Let's go to a movie. It's 10, 15, let's go, right? One leaves the cap of the toothpaste off. One leaves it off. It drives them nuts. One says, we'll clean up all the dishes tomorrow instead of one at a time, which makes more sense to me. But that's whatever. But that's the challenge of family. There's just differences, right? And they're just messy. And, and if you have more than one child or even one, more than one person living in your household or even if you're roommates, you know it only takes one person to blow that whole deal up. Just one. Just one that's like all about themselves and make it about me. And it's about me and it's about me and it's about me. Just takes one selfish, all about me person to blow the entire family up. Whether it's three people or 13. That's the way it is in the church. But the family works so much better when it's like, here, how can I help you? How can I do this? I'm going to defer. I'm going to make the bed or I'm not going to make, I'm going to leave the bed unmade. I'm going to put the cap on. I'm going to leave the cap off because you are important and I value you. That's what the family does. But when there's one person that's like, it's all about me, which is what I want, and it blows the deal up, which is why we struggle. Second thing that's hard about families is that you don't get to choose your family, right? You didn't choose crazy Uncle Bob, shows up every Christmas. You didn't choose crazy Uncle Larry. You didn't choose your parents. And just so you know, kids, your parents didn't choose you either. We didn't get the choice. Y'all just showed up one day and it's like, oh, this is what we get, right? (laughs) 
We don't get to choose. But you know who did choose? Jesus chose. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus chose his church. So which means you over here, and I'm pointing to the empty chair. Empty chair. An empty chair over there. God chose this person. God chose this person. And if this person's a knucklehead and that person's a knucklehead, it doesn't matter because God chose them and God chose them. So whether you think it's great or not, it wasn't your choice. And that is what family is, right? That's Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, and we don't get to choose our family, but what you do get to do is choose to be committed to our family. And the reason we are committed to our family is because God is committed to his children. And if God is our identity, that has to be ours. And I know in, the, in your physical family, some of you, this has not been modeled well, right? I mean, you're, you're somebody left, spouse left, whatever it is. It has not been modeled well, but Jesus never leaves. We sang it earlier. We choose our song specifically. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And so if that is true, then nothing can separate this love, or it shouldn't. And it's real easy in American Christianity, I know. If I say something, you're like, well, I didn't like that. Or does somebody over here hurt your feelings? What do we do? We just go down to First Muckety Muck Church down the street. Right? And that's fine. But the reality is the closer you get to people, the more broken you see them. So it, you go down there, they're going to be just as messed up as us. But the beauty of our church, it, the church universal, is that our Father doesn't care. He chose you anyway. He knows your background, your issues, your struggles. And it doesn't change the fact that you are a son or a daughter of God. That is your identity. That's who you are. You're God's family. Second thing he says, you're the household of God and you're the church of the living God. The word church there is just the word that means generically the gathering. Literally, that's what it means. The assembly. So this is the assembly of the living God. And if you're an underliner or a highlighter or whatever, that's what I would highlight right there. Living God. Right? That your God, my God, is alive in us right now. He's not a statue. He's not some distance force. He is here. I was reading Our Daily Bread. Uh, our Daily Bread, from, it was from several years ago. Actually, we just got our new Daily Breads in, so if you're an Our Daily Breader, they're on the back table. But just, this one's from like the 80s. But it, it, it was a great little story. It says this. On a, one day several years ago, the phone rang at the rector's office. I think that's the pastor. I'm not sure, but that's, that's a fancy name for pastor. But the rector's office in the church in Washington, D.C., where the president sometimes attended. An eager voice said, do you expect the president to be there on Sunday? And the rector replied, I cannot promise that. But we do expect God, and we fancy it will be incentive enough for a reasonably large attendance. Pretty, pretty snarly dude. I like this guy. But the idea that, did you realize that you were coming to gather with the people of God and that the living God would be here with you? Did you I mean, I know we know that. I mean, because we grew up and we sang, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives. He walks with me, he talks with me along, you know, he lives within my heart. Cheesy song, not a bad theology. We know that, but when you were getting out of the parking this morning and you were mad because I had to, you know, I had to move because I was three feet in the guy's driveway to park and go worship Jesus, did you remember that you were coming to the living God? You, that you were a care, you, the spirit of the living God lives in you? That you were going to be with other people? That the living God is here, that Jesus himself is present in his church, that he's watching us? There's angels here too, you can't see them, but they're here. You can go like this right now, one will probably fist bump you. You know, I mean, did you come with that perspective? I don't think we do. I mean, I know it's kind of, 
But it's, the, it's what the scripture teaches. The people of God are the dwelling place of God. And so when you lead, this is why being the church is not this. This is why this is not what we want. This is great, an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday, but this is not what we're after. It's out there because you are carrying the living God with you wherever you go. And that is so unique, y'all. There's no religion in the world. Even the pantheists, just like everything's God. Tree's God, car's God, you're God. Well, then nothing really matters. Everything's God. It's, it's not special. For the Christian, it is a unique thing to carry the living God within him everywhere he goes. And it should be, it makes us distinct. It makes us different. It has to. It makes me go to Boston and say, here I am. Philly. How was that, Tom Brady? Right? It's, it makes me distinct. It's like when two guys are asked, do you play football? Yes. you play football? Yes. Who do you play football for? Oh, I play for Chatham County. Awesome. Who do you play for? I play for Alabama. That's different than that. <laughs> it just is. It's another level. They, I would have used Georgia, but y'all didn't win the game. Okay? So just, <laughs> just reminding you. We won, you know. <laughs> now you're all mad at me. That's all right. This is a different animal. That's history. That's Alabama. That's a funny-looking hat on a dude that won a lot of championships. This is, this is fine, but it's not that. For us, we're to be that. It's distinct. It's just set apart. It's, it's the, the church of the living God. Not that we're, like, better or anything. It's just we're different. We're distinct. We stand out like that. So he says that we are family. We are the church of the living God. One more thing. He says that we are the pillar and buttress of the truth. And you should underline that word, the. It's not just about truth. We do believe in truth. He's not trying to debate relative, absolute truth here. He's talking about the truth. The one truth that all Christians have, have held to for the last 2,000 years. That man was broken and sinful. That we could do nothing to get to God. So he came to us, lived a perfect life, died as our substitute, rose again. And that if I have faith in him, I have access to God. That is the good news. That is the truth. And that is what he says we are a pillar and a buttress of. We are not the source of truth. Don't think the church is the source of truth. We are not. We are not infallible. You are wrong a bunch, and so am I. We don't get to decide what truth is and what truth isn't. That's not what he's saying. What we do is that we herald the good news. That's all our job is. We uphold, like a big pillar in the, in the you can think those Roman columns. That's the idea. What does the column do? It ain't about the column. The column is functional. It holds the roof. It holds it up for everyone to see so they can see how pretty it is. Your job is to make Jesus look good. Right? Remember the, you know, Will, Will uh, Smith and uh, Men in Black, Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Lee, they're, they're cops that like take care of aliens, right? And he recruits Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones is no nonsense, kind of been doing it for a long, real hard. And Will Smith comes out and he says, you know the difference between you and me, Kay? He puts on the shade, he's like, I make this look good. That's what Christians do. We make this look good, or we should. And it's not that people are always going to love what we have to say, but they should never have an issue with how we say it. They can disagree with Jesus. That's all. They did him. They killed him. And he was the most loving person ever. But it should never be with me because I'm arrogant, because I'm hitting him over the head, because I'm a jerk. The message, not the messenger, right? It's huge. We are heralds of it. And honestly... Let's be honest, let's own our deal. The church has not 
always made Jesus look great. They haven't. They've been on the wrong side in certain things. Not everything, but in, in a lot of big ones. We have not done well. And I, you know what? I haven't done well either. And you haven't either. And CBC hasn't also, always. Right? When we are unkind to the people in the neighborhood, we don't hold Jesus well, high well. Right? When you are honking at the family to get out so you can go to church this morning, or fighting, right? You're not, you're not heralding it well. When you're a slacker at work, when you're a jerk, when I am, and I'm not gentle, I'm not modeling the good shepherd. And that's the idea. This is who I am, right? So this is who, this is the shirt I'm supposed to wear. And that's, it's constantly a call. It's constantly a struggle. It's constantly what we're doing, Right? But when we don't do it, we're going against who we are. If I go to Boston and I wear a New England shirt, I'm going against my nature. I must have lost a bet or my mind. Right? When a Christian is not making Jesus look great, he must have lost a bet or his mind. That's the idea. So he says three things. What, what are we? We are the family of God. Right? We, we uphold and make Jesus look great. And we are indwelt by him. That's who we are. That's the shirt we wear. But let's talk briefly about the message. Because what, what is the simple message? He's going to tell us. What is the, the point? What are we we're proclaiming? He says it in verse 16. Great indeed. Listen to the language now. It's, it's emphatic language. It's like he wants you to yell it. Great indeed. We, that's us, confess is the mystery of godliness. And mystery is not like a CSI Savannah. Mystery is something that has been hidden but is now revealed. That's the way Paul uses it throughout all his letters. Something that was hidden but it is now revealed. He says it's great. We confess it. It's in, indeed it's great. And he's using the language of, the, of Ephesus. They have a saying in Ephesus. You can see it in Acts 19. Great indeed is Artemis of the Ephesians. Okay, that's the kind of their deal, what they would say. Because Artemis' temple was there. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Great indeed is the mystery of godliness. Now, if I asked you, what does godliness look like? Some of you. You'd probably be like, well, you know, read your Bible, pray every day, drink, chew, go with girls to do, go to church. You'd list out 37 things. This is, this is godliness, this is not. That is not where the apostle goes. He says, you want to see godliness? Do you know what godliness is? Say, what is godliness? That was weak. What is godliness? He. See that? He didn't go, it, do, he. <laughs> Who's he? It's the Lord Jesus. You want to see godliness? The Lord Jesus. And then he goes and gives six statements about Christ. And they're, they're little couplets. There's actually three couplets, two sentences apiece, right? But he highlights just Jesus. What is he has done? And, and scholars agree that this is an early hymn. This is like a hymn they would sing in the early church. So if you're a hymn guy, this is one of the first ones. Right? It's got some rhythm to it. It's got some structure to it. But let me just kind of work through it real quick. It says, he was manifested in the flesh. That Jesus became a man. Not that he was created as man. He always was. But he added humanity to his deity. He lived a perfect life. He was born of a virgin so he could not have sin. He died on a cross as your substitute. He was manifested in the flesh. And he had to be. How, how could God deal with the scandal of sin? He had to deal with the scandal of the cross. 
He had to make a fracture in the Trinity where his son would have to take our place as one of us. That is the only way. So he, he, he took scandal and he attached another scandal to it and he was victorious. Secondly, he was vindicated by the Spirit. What's this about? It's about the resurrection. That he was raised by the Holy Spirit. Romans 1, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, he was declared to be the son of God in power. Not that that's when he became it, it's when he was declared. How? Through the resurrection. Right? See, anyone can say they're a Messiah. I'm a Messiah. You're a Messiah. Hey, believe me, I'm a Messiah. But the one that goes from life to death and then back to life, that's a Messiah. And because I'm going from life to death and I want to come back to life, I'm going to link arms with the guy who's been there. Right? Not the guy that's like, yeah, hey, I'll tell you how to do it. Have you ever been there? No. Right? We went to, we went to Boston and, and I, you know, we were trying to find the water, and my wife said, that she asked the lady, because she's smart, because she's a woman, she asked for directions, right? And I asked Siri, who's not technically a woman, she's something, but I got Siri wrong, and I was like, turned right, and my wife said, no, no, we asked, and she said to go left, and I said, yeah, but Siri says to go right, and so we went right, because I'm a moron, and we get about, you know, a quarter mile down the road, and I'm like, at what point do I want to recognize that we're moving away from the water? And we go back. Somebody who knew because they had been there. Siri ain't never been there. Right? Jesus has been there. Death, buried, resurrected. I'm, I'm going with him. I'm going with him. He was seen by angels. Right? Oh, that was Romans 8, 11. And the point of the resurrection is because Jesus is raised from the dead, what does it said? The spirit will raise you from the dead. He who dwells in you. That's the whole point. Next thing, he was seen by angels at his birth, at his death, when he came back into heaven. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, heaven and earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that he is Lord. That's the angels, that's the demons, that's us. Everybody. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. By who? By the church. That's the church's job. We herald the good news. And he's, and he's now proclaimed in the nations. This is completely radical and new sans Old Testament. The Old Testament Jew, the average Old Testament Hebrew, would never feel compulsion to go to the nations. Never. They want to come to them, fine. But they would never go out. The church now goes out to all the nations. That is our job. And if, if a church does not take the message to the nations, and nations is not just China. That's part of it. Nations is South Gardens. Nations is Savannah. Nations is Statesboro. But if a church ceases to take the gospel to the nations, then it no longer is a church. Because that's the job of the church. So if we're not doing that, then we are merely a country club who likes to sing. And wake up way early on Sundays. And the job, who else is going to proclaim the name of Christ? The church. And then it says, believed on in the world. Yes, that's the result. And here's the beauty. For those of you who have been overseas, and some of you have, a lot of you have, and we're going to have some opportunities for you this year, a Central America trip, an Africa trip, just for you to be exposed to those things. And we'll let you know dates in the next couple of weeks. But if you've ever been anywhere in the world, whether it's a dirt floor in, in Rwanda where the church is worshiping, or the underground church in China, or just a, an old building in, in Central America, those people have nothing, there's no common history story there. They eat different foods. They have different backgrounds. They have different educations. They have different languages. All sorts of different things. All right? Completely, you're like, well, I don't even get that. But when you start 
singing with them or talking about the Bible with them or talking about the Savior with them. It is amazing how it's like, oh yeah, I get that. No common history. But when you start talking about those things, praying together, it's like there's something there. It's because it's a common faith, common spirit, common Savior. Believed on in the nations. And finally, taken up in glory. It's not chronological. It's just that's the way he wraps it up. That he went back to heaven as victor, as champion, right? As, as the one who conquered death and sin and rose from the dead. And he came the first time, obscure little baby. No one saw him except a couple shepherds, a couple angels, a couple donkeys maybe. Next time every eye will see him, he comes as a king, riding on a stallion with his church behind him. Right? That's the point. Who are we? We are his church. We are the dwelling place of God, the family of God. We herald it. That's the shirt we wear. Right? And just two thoughts as we move to worship and celebrate the table. Here's just two quick thoughts. Number one, if you're a Christian this morning, this is your jam. Remember the Lego movie for those of you who have kids, the Lego movie? That song, everything is awesome, everything. You're going to have that song in your head for like an hour now. But everyone in the whole movie, like, that's my jam. That's my, and that song keeps coming on. This is your song. And because it's your song, this is who we are. This is our ID. Right? This is, we are in Christ. That's what the New Testament says. Just time and time. You are in Christ. And the reason why, here, here's the big, this is a struggle for some of you. And I know that you're visiting or maybe you're, you've been coming for a while. Some of you believe that because you go to church and because you read your Bible and because you do all these things, that makes you a Christian. It does not make you a Christian. It makes you a Southerner. And there's two different things. You do those, those things don't make you any more a Christian than being in a garage makes you a car. The reason why we might do those things is because we are in Christ. It is your faith alone, period. So we don't, these are not a bunch of rules. Don't ever hear, oh, do this, do that, do this. If you're hearing that, you're, you're trying to earn your way there. This is not rules. This is, I am this. I am a fowler from Philly and I wear my jersey as a result. If you wear the jersey, it doesn't count. You're not from Philly. It's a, you pretend. You can go all you, wear it all you want, unless you're from Philly, unless you tell me what street or what neighborhood or what, whatever, you don't count. It's kind of like Tybee. If you, you can go to Tybee, but you're not from Tybee, unless you're from Tybee, right? And there's only like 12 of them on the whole island that are from Tybee. And they'll tell you who they are. They're all 98, right? But you, I am this, and now I wear the shirt. Please never mix the order up. It is an eternal difference. I'm not trying to get to Jesus. Jesus came to me. I'm not trying to earn his favor. He gave me his favor. He chose me. So that's huge. That's our song. That's our jam. So we need to sing it. And that's the reason why. The reason why I give my life away is because Jesus gave his life away. The reason why I'm called to love my neighbor is because Jesus loved his neighbor. The reason why I'm called to serve is because Jesus served. To shepherd because Jesus shepherd. That, I'm generous because Jesus, it's all rooted in him. It's not to get to him. That's the difference. That's our jam. That is the mystery of godliness. He. Right? And here's a second real quick question. How are you doing about making Jesus look good? I mean, really. How are you doing? Are you like, man, don't ask that question. 
this is the time to ask. Because then we come back and say, okay, let's, let's, let's move forward. Are you a bully at work? Are you a bully at school? You're always making fun of you. Is that, people, is that the shirt you wear? You know one of the most powerful shirts we wear is our mouth. The way we talk to people, the way we talk about people. A little gossip, a little slander. A little dig here, a little dig there. A little lie there. Y'all, that is not, that is a Patriots jersey. And ain't Eagles. <laughs> right? It's a great, it's, it's just, you know, huge. How about at work? How, do, you, do you show up at work on time? Do you take extra hour lunches? Are you watching 65 YouTube videos? High schoolers, are you cheating? Is that the shirt you wear? Cheating is rampant at these schools. I know you Christian schools or not. I know. It's rampant. I mean, you should be the one that's not if everyone else is. That should be the shirt you wear. Everyone else is, you know, friends with benefits and all these things. You should be the one that's not. There's purity. Not because you're trying to get, it's because who Jesus is. He's pure. So his church is pure. And there's all sorts of implications for us, y'all. All sorts. Here's a big one. And I asked myself this week, and I was super convicted about this. If God answered every prayer that I prayed last week, not, not next week. If I say, God's going to answer every prayer you pray, then you're like, oh, I'm going to be super holy. But if he answered every prayer that you prayed for last week, who would be blessed besides you? Would, would, who would be healed of their cancer? Right? Who, who would have an opportunity to hear Christ? Who would, which one of your kids would, you know, your kids would be starting quarterback for Georgia next year. I get it. Right? But, I mean, who else would be blessed besides yourself? And, and God tells us to pray for good things and pray for stuff. So that's not the point. The point is we have to at some point look outside of ourselves. Right? We just have to. Because Jesus calls us to be the church. Be the church. And this is not it. It's the gathering. This is the assembly. But we're, gonna, we're about to go do the most important thing. After we sing and take the table, we're about to go do what matters. Right? And go be the church.